The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. We're kinky, done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to our program. What a great month it has been with such fantastic personalities, and today's show is no exception, as we are joined by a world-famous burlesque performer who has taken her power to own the stage and brought it into the dungeon to create incredible experiences for so many, including a certain host of this show. Yes, Queen P, it is music to her ears, the sound of her submissive subjects offering their compliance, their bodies, and their most intimate secrets. Queen P is a five foot two powerhouse, five seven in heels, a naturally dominant, fun loving kinkster with a passion for perversion and creative sadism. She is a certified therapeutic lifestyle coach who knows how to guide you in alternative intimacy, creating a brave, safe space for you to prioritize pleasure and pain, to shed shame, and to experience the healing benefits of fetish and power dynamics. Others know her from her success as an internationally celebrated burlesque performer known as Sweet Pea. That attire, elegance, regal glamour and seduction is infused into everything she does. She's also the host of Twin Cities Kinky Friday, which welcomes the curious to the kinky to an accessible sensory circus, one that celebrates patrons no matter their stage of their BDSM journey. She offers professional sessions at Castle Diabolica in Minneapolis and frequently travels to San Francisco, Miami, and other cities in the United States. So prepare to hail the queen of the dungeon or the energizer honey of the stage, Queen P on what women and other wonderful humans want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you ever referred to yourself using the word P. Using the word P um, would be uh, 2004 when I took the name Sweet P as my entertainer name, my burlesque entertainer name. The origin story was that when I first started performing burlesque, I was actually quite terrified or didn't think that I had 
the Baba boom to fill such big names like Ophelia Flame or Coco Dupree. So I thought about grabbing a cutesy name that I, you know, that might be sexy on accident or powerful on accident. And of course, now when people say sweepy, they'll be like quotations. And when I went to go choose it, it was simply a childhood nickname that someone had revived as a term of endearment. So I was like, okay, I'll snatch that and use that. Perfect. Yeah. First time you ever set foot on a burlesque stage and your emotions going through it. Uh, another 2004, January 23rd, 2004. <laughs> Remember exactly, because I like dates. And I was exhilarated and I was terrified. I joked that the, uh, the extra shimmying action I had wasn't all of my skills. It was also from the nerves because I had little tremors that were happening. But of course, by the time I finished my performance, I was, I, I couldn't wait to do another. First time you ever were exposed to kink. Mm. The origin for that probably were, was as young as my first vampire stories mm. and understanding the power, the power dynamic and loving the ways in which the people would find such romance in, in consenting power exchange and feeding off of one another, getting fed and being fed off of. First time you participated in kink. Mm. <laughs> Perhaps in my late teens with a, with a partner when we got into our first forays of some, some light bondage and some light impact play. And the first time Queen P ever played. Yay. That would have been uh, November of 2015. Do you remember the scenario? Goodness. I think the very first scenario I had was um, having one of my co-producers subs ask if he could worship my feet. So it was my first experience with the foot worship scenario. And I never thought that I would love it, but within just a few moments of watching him be so enthralled by it and then watching him take his foot into my, or my foot into his mouth, uh, I instantly had the tingles. I'm like, oh, I definitely like this. This is fantastic. When we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, we'll meet someone who not only has one biography, but two biographies. And even a third. We'll get into all three of them when we return. You all know I love my cat suits, and the ones that have never let me down come from the amazing winter fetish. I've had some of them for 10 years, and they're still going strong. Specifically made for fetish play, these suits come in only the best spandex or PVC with zippers made for action. You've seen them in the House of Lord, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and now these suits can be yours. And if you use the code www.spandexcat, you get 10% off your purchase, and you support the show as well. And as always, I give you this promo because I believe in what Winter Fetish does. So visit winterfetish.com and use the promo code www.spandexcat and get the cat suit of your dreams from Winter Fetish. This is Alicia Zadig 
author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Hello, all you dear listeners of this amazing show. My name is Anya, and I also have a podcast called Sexual Alchemy. And I would love for you to come discover what we're doing over in my little sliver of the world, talking about sex, our paths to figuring out our most authentic expressions, unshaming all aspects of it, and generally just creating community around people who want to explore whatever their most authentic sexual expression is. So I hope you enjoy listening. I hope you reach out and I hope you become part of my little community that I love so much. Join Anya for Sexual Alchemy and listen to my episode. It was an amazing interview. Sexual Alchemy with Anya, available where you get your podcasts. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to the program, joined by Queen P. Are you currently in Minneapolis now, or are you on one of your many journeys? Oh, I am currently in Minneapolis, where it is 95 degrees outside with high, high humidity. 97 degrees here in Cincinnati. Yes. It's crazy everywhere. But I guess that's what summer will do. Mm -hmm. And we love it. Absolutely. I first had an opportunity to meet you in the most beautiful of ways at Castle Diabolica. Yes. Amanda Wildfire, a.k.a. Reb Holmberg, had been on this podcast, and we had an amazing interview. And one day I got a note saying, I do one nice thing a year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think she does more than that. They do more than that. I know. (laughs) But they also said, and this year it's you. And I went, okay. Well. Said, I know you love your latex cat suits and you've always wanted to have one that actually fits. I would love to do a latex cat suit fitting. And that is all I knew. When I came over to Castle Diabolica, I knew that you were going to be a part of it. Yes. But I never imagined what was nearly three hours of the most amazing experience I've ever had. Uh, That's wonderful to hear you recap. And it, it was a really wonderful time. So you walked in 
you were dressed casually as you came in and you bounded in with the most beautiful energy and the sweetest smile. And I went, this is a woman who is so confident about herself. Is that you all the time? I don't think that's true for anybody all the time, but I have a pretty good batting average. Do you have something in your background that made you that way? Life. Uh, I came from a very, a lot of us, like we, we live our lives and it makes us really resilient and uh, really makes us lean into or dig into what it is that we need to feel confident to walk into the world. And so my life brought me to many things that integrated or made me learn to be able to teach. And then it was one of those things, even if I faked it for a while, like my confidence as a burlesque performer at first, you couldn't help but to perform it. And then pretty soon before you knew it, I knew it, it becomes integrated and it's not, you're not faking it. It's, it's literally impacting how you walk through the world. I don't think that people normally say they're going to grow up and be a burlesque performer or a dominatrix. What did you want to do as you grew up? I changed my plans frequently. I knew that I wanted to be some sort of entertainer. Uh, But also, uh, as I age, I'd like early on, I was like, I want to be a dancer. And I want to be I wanted to, I loved strip clubs, like I want to be a sexy dancer. And then it was like, oh, I wanted to be an educator because of the, the upbringing that I had. And so I actually was finishing my undergrad in education and was about ready to, to be a high school English teacher doing my student teaching. And then I saw my first traveling burlesque show and I was like, mm, I'm gonna put this other thing on pause and I'm gonna go over here real quick because this <laughs> seems like fun to me. Was that your first inkling, that first show you saw? Uh, yes, yes, because I didn't know what it was. Previously, like my my earliest time in like in sex work or sexy work, I remember being a 16 year old and I was always hyper aware of my sexuality and sensuality. I've always been a very sensual human. And at 16, I was helping my best friend who was an escort, a call girl, uh, get ready for her sessions and uh, almost went on one of my own. And then my mom was like, you need to wait until you're 18. So hold your fucking horses. And I even had tried to take one of the old IDs back when um, they were you know, stamped. And I tried to use a safety pin to change my six to a zero so that I could be old enough to go to the strip club. And again, <laughs> the person was like, you need to come back when you're 18. Nice try. <laughs> and so I was always, I was always aware. I always knew that I wanted to be in, in sexy work of some, some way, but seeing my first burlesque show, I didn't know that the art existed in that way. So literally it just took like the first 30 seconds of the performance, seeing so much sexuality, sensuality, reclamation of that sexuality, complete ownership. Like, yes, it was an offer of objectivity or objectification, but it was with complete control and with all of the, the theatrics around it as well. Like it was just a beautiful, it's like a mini theatrical vignette. And I was there for all of it. It sounds like your mom was rather supportive of you. She was, she was a teenage mom. So she, she had me when she was 17 and then kind of stayed in that like teenage best friend mode for most of my life. And a lot of it, like she was the cool mom where it's like, oh, if I was going to be going out late, if I was going to be, you know, she wanted me to to know where I could go and have safe things or to be at a certain place where she could check in when there was not cell phones. 
And even when I came of like, oh, I want to party or I want to hang out with people who are partying, she offered herself as the safe house for everyone to gather because at least she could keep an eye on everyone, even though she necessarily didn't consent to our activities. Have you always had this personality of the outgoing person who just enjoys life? Yes. Yes, I have. I've always been super in love with life. Even when it's really hard and shitty, I can always be like, okay, here's the obstacle, but here's the opportunity within the, you know, within that circumstance. And not that I minimize experiences, but I could always be like, this fucking sucks. But also look at all this other stuff that is so beautiful and so worthwhile and other humans who have endured, you know, similar or so much more and what they came through to, to do or be. So I've always had a zest and an appreciation and, and the ability to focus on things that are really wonderful, even when there's things that are hard going on. You talk about obstacles and opportunities. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a time when this wonderful world of kink or burlesque or sex positive entertainment helped you get through one of those times when you didn't think you could? That is a good question. I, I think that the commitment to the art forms and to the lifestyle has definitely given me a focus or a priority or prioritizing of my joy that would allow me to not fall back for too long. Like essentially when I was in the middle of something really deep and heavy, I had that to go to. Um, a really wild uh, in, or example or instance was that both for, well, really big, that my, when my mother had passed away, I was literally with her at her deathbed and had said goodbye to her, spending my time with her transition. And when she had finished, you know, when she had gone, um, my spouse looked at me and they were like, do you need to cancel your plans for tonight? And I had a show to do that night. Mm. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to do this because my mother gave me my love of, of dance. And she always encouraged me to be like really empowered by my sexuality. So I'm going to go and do this thing. And so I went and did a burlesque show hours after saying goodbye to my mother. And it definitely gave me a push I needed to put that energy somewhere. And then when I had the time to pause, was able to go back to it and deal with the remaining. I'm guessing she was on stage with you. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. She's the one that taught me how to shake my ass to the drumbeat of Wipeout while I was, when I was five years old. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's an origin story right there. Right? I, I'm always chuckling and be like, some kids and little girls are learning how to make their tater tot hot dish here in Minnesota, you know, at, at that time. But my mother had me in front of a big mirror in our living room, learning go-go dance moves and shaking my ass to the drumbeat to wipe out. That's amazing. Yeah. What was your first big costume? Because I'm sure you have one first costume you might remember. Um, when it comes to burlesque costuming, with burlesque in itself, you basically create a look or an aesthetic around mm -hmm. a song or an act. So every act has a dedicated costume. And so, yes, I remember. I mean, I remember my very first costumes, and I still have pieces of them to this day. And as I've progressed as an artist and my aesthetic has also improved and my ability to do my own sewing but outsource now to really amazing artists, they just keep getting bigger and more lavish. 
you are five foot two. Yes. Five seven in heels, as you point out. But yes. you portray as a much bigger force of nature. Yes. And maybe that, a tiny package. I just have, I have really big energy. Has that always been to your advantage or did you have to learn that? No, it's always been to my advantage. And that's something, it's something I've always enjoyed. I've some, I've been a personality that people enjoy being around that even if I'm very energetic and uh, not never hyper, just really, I always have a lot. They call me the energizer honey as one mm -hmm. of my taglines. And so even if I have lots of energy that I project, people always really enjoyed, like it's very much a, a calming presence or a very, you know, attractive a presence that people just, they come, they want to be around me. Take me through those moments as you're preparing for a big show where you come in and you're just regular clothing, may not have your makeup on, may not have your hair done. Mm -hmm. What is the process that you go through to get ready for when that curtain opens or that moment you step out on stage? Is there a total transformation? Is it mentally as well? At this point, I don't know that it's a, a mental transformation. It is a like a turning it up to mm -hmm. an 11. So if it feels like on the daily, if I'm me at about a seven or an eight, when it comes time to be on stage for folks and I will turn it and I'll click it up. This many years in, there's no separation of, of who I am in any of my spheres. I, I Some people need to have that separation. They have their daily life, their muggle name or their civvy name, and they have their stage personas or their other personalities. Uh, I decided a while back that I wasn't going to, wasn't going to do that. Um, so there, at least there's not that big mental push that I need to. Of course, if I'm not in the great mood, it might take me a little bit extra, but that's where the ritual will, will come in. So the preparation of like sitting down at my table, my dressing area, getting things opened and placed for my makeup, getting my costume pieces out and hung up or having someone steam them if need be. And then usually I have some music either on around me um, or in my earphones uh, some water and a glass of wine. And I do it kind of as a goddess anointing process of just, you know, when it's time to be presented and then you just adorn what is already known to be uh, valuable and beautiful. And then once I go through that process and I get the final pieces on, then it's time to go out. I'm taking the timeline from burlesque to dominatrix because yes. that's the way your timeline went. Correct. Was there a certain moment that the dominatrix idea came about? And if so, what was it? The idea seemed to be a progression in sexy work or sex work because I had been dancing. I've been doing burlesque for 14 years or so. Uh, when I decided I also wanted to give respect to my forebears, bearing, get it. And, and I went into a strip club environment. So I was 38 years old when I became an, an actual stripper and I tried topless dancing and enjoyed that and really came into more of my presence of power and holding court with people and the power I had over, over men, over my patrons, men, women, non-binary beings all across the board. And really coming more into awareness with that, where a lot of people think that 
revealing oneself or being nude or giving lap dances is submissive. I never felt that way. I found it extremely empowering. And I actually started to see my, um, my, my dominatrix persona starting in the clubs, especially mm. with people didn't keep their hands to themselves or didn't follow protocol. I had no problem with restraining them or smacking them around a little bit, like a little, little discipline. And that progression progression went. And then it was when a friend of mine, who is also a pro dom here in Minneapolis, she's been doing it for about 20 years, reached out to me uh, and said, Hey, Jean Bardot, who I know has been on your, uh, on your podcast before on your show. And she's a longtime friend of mine. Uh, she wants to pass on this event, Kinky Friday. Would you, would you produce this with me? And she basically knew me as a really great producer, event producer and show producer. And she had a really great background as a dominatrix. So we had a grand scissoring and came together. <laughs> and, and that's where the magic started happening. Cause it was like burlesque. It only took a few times of seeing the power and the possibilities and the endless buffet that kink and BDSM world offers that I was hooked. And just finding more and more of myself, like the more that I stepped into that power, when people started asking me to have sessions, to have scenes and getting to learn more and try more, I was, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. From Jean Bardot to Amanda Wildfire. Yes. Those are two amazing teachers. Right. And might I add full circle because <clears throat> my very first burlesque show that I saw I met Jean and she, and she actually told me to come hang out with her. Like we saw each other and she was like, you come find me. And I ended up going to her club later that night and we hung out and it was great. And then I didn't see her for months until I came, like went to my first burlesque show or performed in it. And she came backstage and was just like, there you are. Um, and Amanda, I had met in 2005. So about a year after I started performing because she was in a phase where she was learning Ariel, like she, and she wanted to put on a big show. So she came to a burlesque show and she said, Hey, I pick you. If you come and play with me for the next eight, 10 months, I'll teach you aerial arts and then you will be in my show. And I said, yes, of course. It was a wonderful experience. We ended up doing two, like a, like a good year and a half worth of aerial training together and doing some great shows. And then, you know, years and years later doing like having Jean give us kinky Friday and then me getting to a place where I'd been practicing and doing sessions with clients that I was like, you know what? I want to learn, I want to learn a lineage. I love my co-producer, but being her co-producer, I wanted to really honor her brand. And I was like, you know what, Amanda, because I remember what a gearhead she was. I loved like basically what that Reb or Amanda would offer me would be things that I didn't naturally have or didn't already have in my arsenal. And so that's why I reached out to Amanda to be like, hey, you taken on any mentees because I would like to learn from you and learn your particular style. And when she said yes. Yes. When she called me her heir apparent after doing some sessions with her and finding out how naturally and intuitively we work together, um, it was wonderful. It's been a few years now. Even though the pandemic made us pause a bit, but we had started before we went into lockdown and then picked up last fall. I have had the privilege of entering Castle Diabolica. Yes. For those who have not had the privilege of entering it, describe it if you possibly can. Oh, 
it's an unassuming space at first because externally you're looking at an old, like a beautiful Victorian home in an area of South Minneapolis. And even coming up the steps, you would just think it was, it was beautifully, beautiful wallpaper, carpet. It just feels very inviting. The smell of the wood, it just intoxicates you. The only the way that old homes can. And as you get through the second floor and walk through the little area, there's a curtain, the foyer, you open a curtain. And as soon as you turn, the entire energy changes because you go from something that is, it's warm, of course, but you turn into something that is a different type of warmth. It is an enveloping cold and encapsulating sort of feeling because the second you turn, the first thing you see are a bunch of custom metal pieces in front of you, a custom metal restraints, um, uh, a straight jacket meant for a woman with breast holes, a huge chastity piece that goes, goes over the entire waist, metal shoes and different types of cuffs. Oh my gosh, so many types of cuffs. And then as you begin to progress up those stairs, you look side to side and you see images from the Michael Manning from the In a Spider Web series, the Amarotica series, which I've been a fan of for years. I had friends gift me those books years and years ago. And the first time I looked at those, those pictures, I was like, oh, you have Michael Manning prints. And Amanda goes, oh no, honey, those aren't prints. Those are original. As a matter of fact, she points to one that's a, her and a pony. She's like, that's, that's me and Charger Pony. And then I was like, ah, oh, so great. So you continue up that first flight of stairs. You're seeing all that, just a, a taste of what's about to happen. And then as soon as you turn that flight of stairs, you see hanging chains, all of the surplus of chains. And then you see restraints and floggers hanging right in front of you and body bags. You walk up and look overhead and you see a bunch of masks, different types of hoods. And then you look ahead and you see the first room, which is the bondage room, which has everything from a St. Andrew's cross to a bondage table, to a medical table that rotates. And then of course, more gear than you've ever seen. And that room alone is overwhelming and it's meant to be. It's meant to be something that shifts you or changes you just from that visual impact of having so many things that will alter your state that you can't help it to already be altered. And with the nice peak of the, of the ceiling in there that she had painted with purple and clouds and neon and great lighting and mirrors on all sides. It seems like it's infinite, but yet you definitely feel captive in a way that that's what she designed it for. So that's the main bondage room where there are just boxes and bins of toys and implements and electrical pieces and restraints and so much beautiful leather. And that is the main room. You look up and you realize that there's a cage overhead. So there's an actual ladder that goes up into a cage where people will be locked for overnights and be restrained down. Maybe there's there are mirrors on both sides so they have to watch themselves. So there's also a television over their head. So they might be forced to watch porn all night but not be able to touch themselves because they're restrained. They just have to deal with it. So there's that great overhead. And then right below that is the entrance to the sissification room where one of the things that Amanda is known for, it's such a pleasure to get to, to be able to be in that space now, is she has probably over a quarter of a million dollars of rubber, of latex that she has collected over the years. And it's an amazing condition because she keeps track of it and does such great care of it. It's immaculate. She has pieces that are literally 30 years old that you would never guess, but some of the most beautiful pieces I've ever seen. 
and and of course other certification items. Lots of feminization happens at Castle Diabolica. It's one of my favorite things to do. So in addition to all the latex, there is a bunch of just lingerie uh, and 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 corsets and even leather. So it's really really beautiful and a whole wall of shoes. It's just uh, enough to make your nipples get hard. And when you walk out of that the little cisification chamber and look straight ahead, you realize it looks, and you go through that bondage room, you realize it opens up into something that looks a little bit more sterile or at least changes the, the feeling. And ahead is, or the last room of the dungeon is the medical room. And that is another specialty of Castle Diabolica, which includes a vintage late seventies, early eighties birthing chair, um, a toilet chair, all sorts of metal implements, sounding, suction, milking, enemas, it's just a, a medical vet person's delight. Um, and of course, looking at all of those rooms, there are incredible pieces. Like these are custom pieces that, you know, full latex, or you saw the, the newer rubber bag that we have that is about the thickness of a tire. Like you think that it was almost leather, but it's so thick, but it's a flotation and inflatable. Also a metal cage meant for someone to get in that completely covers them up. And those things are all around you just to, to be as menacing and require uh, submission and compliance as possible. So where does one start in planning with all those things there? It's all really about the person who's coming in. I have been working out of there now for some time and I feel like I have touched just a small portion of the magic that's in there, of all the things that are available in there. So it really has to do with the client. You know, as much as, as, much as I could force people into, like as much as I will force them into doing what I want, we also know that it is a, it is a collaborative experience to work with any submissive and it's driven by what their fantasies are. And then I'm the one that decides how to carry them through to the best, of, best experience they can have. Um, that I want to bring them to the edge of their experience, to whatever space that they want to have. And so it really does depend on what that person has expressed interest in. And then of course you get an intuition about what, what they're going to respond to. And you kind of follow that and take them little by little and see how they respond to it. You talked about the feminization room and that yes. you enjoy doing that so much. I do. What, what brings you that joy? I think that the, one of the very first things and in, in doing more feminization and cisification, it's one of the most tangible things that you can do to help transform somebody visually to put them into subspace or to put them into a more authentic expression that they're not able to experience for whatever reason, unless they come for your care. And so being able to guide them and having them want to be guided by me because I'm known for being such a glamorous human and you know, not a, a bad looking one at that, that they really love my guidance and I will care for them and make them up like one of my, one of my girls. <laughs> and, and it allows them like said, a different experience that they wouldn't get anywhere else. So watching them being able to be transformed into something they didn't know that they could experience or instantly being able to put a few garments on them and have them be released from all the things that they wanted to let go of when they came to the dungeon is a beautiful thing. And then of course, once the cisification begins to happen, then all the other fun can come in depending on what, what are the things are on the menu, whether it's bondage, it's impact CBT, well, you know, so much fun. 
when I first put on a cat suit and then put on fake breasts, mm -hmm. I did not necessarily think about feminization. Mm -hmm. I thought about giving myself the look of the damsels in distress that I love seeing. As yeah. I told Christina Carter once when I first saw her videos, I said, you're a very lovely looking woman and I love all the outfits you wear, but I just want to be you. And she went, I can get that because I'm trying to get into her mindset. Sure. And somebody brought up the fact that very rarely do men get desired where they can put on a look and feel desirable. And that's a tough thing for me. I don't take compliments well. I get them all the time and I sure. appreciate every single one of them, but it's hard for me to take compliments. Okay. Then you, when we had our, our meeting and our scene, yes, you put me at such ease and you saw this guy in this purple cat suit and you just looked and you went, I see possibilities here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I felt desired. Yes. Tell me what it's like to have that kind of power and to be able to make somebody just let go? What is it like to have that power? I mean, it's obviously something that fuels me, which is one of the reasons that I love being a dominatrix. So it is a great joy to know that I have that ability to, to look at someone who may not feel the most confident or maybe unsure or wonder come with their whatever their self-confidence issues are, or just wondering if they're gonna be able to let go of themselves enough to enter the space. And to be able to hold energy, if I let them walk into my energy and to lock eyes with them, because that's exactly what I did to you. And you exhaled and, and smiled. And I said something about your smiling eyes and said that I was gonna have fun. And that, it's another one of my great joys. I mean, of course, like that connection and that, that, that power that I have to be able to put people at ease, but also under my control to be given that sort of trust in order to give them an experience that they're not gonna get anywhere else because it is with me. They may get similar, but it will not be the same if it's not my energy that's guiding it. And it is a really beautiful thing to come into just as you honor and, and meet other doms and see what their styles are to make sure that we can also bring our authentic selves or whatever our style of domination is into our spaces and in with our clients. This is not an occupation that you can fake. No. And no. I know a lot of people say, well, I want to become a pro dom. And I think that they're perhaps thinking of the transactional side or the money side, but don't realize your heart and soul and mindset yes. has to be one that literally envelops the subject as they come in. Yes, that is exactly it. I mean, would I be having as many experiences with humans if it wasn't a transactional experience? No, because that's one of the ways in which I am inspired. But it, it is about the, the, that connection. When you spoke about me having a, a love of life, 
another one of the things that's really authentic for me is I can, I can find the spaces and, and the love for and the connection with every person that I meet. And so I really, and I have a very broad, broad palette. So I can instantly find the juiciness, the attractiveness, the desirability, the, the fuckability, whatever, the tenderness of any person who is in my care or in my space. And I really, really enjoy that. Tenderness being a very well-picked word, because when I was seated in that chair in those metal cuffs, looking at you, you were in this beautiful blue catsuit. Yes. Which seemed to radiate energy. Yes. It seemed to not only enchant me in a physical way and an appearance way, there was a certain calm that came from it as well that says, just put yourself into my aura. Mm -hmm. And Rabid mentioned to me the woo factor mm -hmm. and said, I'm not sure that you realize that you give that out. And I even mentioned it to you that my woo factor is literally a factor of being in awe and being appreciative. And yes, if you're not falling in love with that moment, correct, you're cheating yourself. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I very much, I mean, of course, that's how people get attached to the people that they get to have that experience with because it is such a special place to be able to, brought, to be brought into that subspace or whatever it is that you're looking to experience when you come into a kink scenario or a BDSM scenario. And so, and I'm very much a woo human. I mean, like I, I run energy constantly. That radiation is intentional that I am making sure that I project to envelop in order to have people succumb to my whims. And I am as, as loving and kind as I am, I am also as sadistic. And oftentimes that loving stuff, it's not false, like we contain multitudes, is that I basically create that trust and care to bring people to those other extremes that they want to experience. I'm not somebody who hates the humans who come to see me. And I think that is an old misconception of people who just want to be doms or do that work. It's like, oh, I, I'm so mad at so-and-so and this would be a great way to, to get my anger out. And that's not true because we know specifically what a caring position and profession it is. You could not have been more gentle with me if you tried, but you were still extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. How difficult is that to balance that? I was responding to the energy that you were giving. And so you were very responsive to, to, to tender energy and to loving, like guiding energy. And so I was responsive to that. I'm like, yes, I was gleeful and I was giggling as I was doing things to you. Um, but I was also pawing at you and, you know, and talking shit to you <laughs> and, and saying sexy things in your ear and looking at you and remarking, especially once we got you into the inflatable suits about how much fun it was and how great you looked. And of course I was fondling you and rubbing your, your latex ruffle pussy and playing with your breasts. But there's nothing hard about it because I'm being led by the energy that the person needs. I have clients that want to be humiliated and really respond well to degradation. Some people respond really well to strict rules and lavish praise. And someone like you with really soft, smiling eyes 
wants to just be guided and cared for. And, and you respond well to that. So you being the five foot two powerhouse and me being a six foot four, probably a little taller in this inflatable cat suit. <laughs> yes. That just must have said playground to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as a as someone like if you haven't seen me in person, I don't know if I'm on camera right now, if it's something that people get to see or if it's just audio only, but I'm a muscly human. I'm a very fit human. And I, most of my clients are six feet and over, and I thoroughly enjoy tying them down and climbing all over the place. You become my jungle gym. And that also allows me to display my power, my strength, and my endurance even further. If I may be so self-indulgent. You may. When you saw me in that cat suit. Yes. And the hood put over top of me, the only thing you could really see was my eyes. Yes. Because there was a posture, collar, and something that came up over my mouth. Mm -hmm. Yet you still felt like you looked right through me. Yes. Well, you know, I still got right to your eye level and got close to you and made you look into my eyes. What was the feeling you were getting from me being in a place that I'd always dreamed of being, which was being inside the perfect latex catsuit? Oh, I mean, I felt the most, I mean, it was submission. Like it was this gleeful, like you said, you wanted to be the damsel. Like that was an experience you wanted to have. And being in that transformative state, you had this kind of, <sighs> that you, that you had sought out. It's like, you, you seemed like you got that release and that submissive state that you had really been desiring. You wanted to be that damsel. You wanted to basically be like, I don't know what's next. Tell me what to do. I'm just putty in your hands and I trust you. Use me as you will. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> And then the fun siren went off <laughs> with the words, more bondage, please. More bondage, please. And then we guided you from the medical room where we got some of our photos in that inflatable suit and hood and laid you into another huge piece of latex, which was a full body bag. And, and then I watched you sink back even further into a a joy that you hadn't experienced before. You got very shiny eyed. You were getting very, not dewy eyed, like you were going to cry, but I could see the sparkles and it was very wonderful to see. And it definitely inspired me to keep going for the both of us to keep going because Amanda is just as in tune to be able to see how things are progressing and respond to it. And of course we began to strap you up. <laughs> the thing that I felt the most because I had gotten <clears throat> to do one of my bucket list items the week before at Kinky College, which was being in a vac bed for the first yes. time. Yes. And I thought that was the ultimate. I cried in the vac bed because I did feel so safe. Yes. And then you wrapped me up in this loving latex and I had never felt more home than I did at that moment. Mm. And I could have never imagined being in a place like that. No, 
And not everybody has that response, but you responded to it as though like a womb or a cocoon. You just went into a nothingness state. I mean, it was a happy space, but you, it was like you were floating and you're just floating. You had a smirk on your face. We ended up taking the hood off, but you had such a soft smile on your face and you were, as Amanda likes to call it, you were pie-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so honored that you shared the images of that on your website. I did. They were so good. And because it was such a fun experience, how could I not? Well, I will forever be grateful for that. And you and Reb brought me an experience the likes of which I, I've never had and I don't know if I'll have again, but you give me hope that I can. I think and that you can and you will. That's a beautiful thing. Yes. When we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, we're going to talk about some more of the personalities of Queen P when we return. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports, no, not the jet ski kind, and you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you'll support us and support the show by visiting bit.ly slash catsuitcon, C-A-T-S-U-I-T-C-O-N, to see how you can support our efforts in doing in-person interviews, as well as attending conferences and being able to teach kindness and authenticity to some wonderful people. And also, if you get a chance, hop on over to Apple or Spotify and leave the show a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Here again is our host, John, or as we know him, hi there, catsuit. Welcome back to the program, joined by Queen P, sometimes Hello. known as Sweet P. Sometimes known as the health hussy. Yes, Coach P, indeed. Coach P is yes. fascinating because <laughs> I know that you obviously are a wonderful trainer in one way. Were you always the physical trainer as well? Yes. 
Um, I have been a trainer. I got into the gym industry when I was a teenager, about 17. And then by 19, I'd actually become a trainer. So I've been a trainer for a very, very long time and then continued to add to my skill set of being a therapeutic lifestyle coach and working in functional medicine. So things that all kind of nestled together to be someone who helps people with their wellness care and changing their life to, or changing their habits to change their life. And when you see that transformation, mm-hmm. how does that just go straight to your heart? How can it not? How can it not? I always tell people uh, that wellness is one of my love languages and it is not something I don't give unsolicited advice or tell people how they should live their life. But when people come to me and ask for guidance and I'm able to provide it for them and then they are able to follow it and then have the rewards, like the shift, the compound effect that happens from those things that are ongoing, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. You literally not only change their life, but those habits and that way of feeling and thinking in their own bodies about themselves and their life is going to have a ripple effect to everybody else that's in their life, the way that they'll care for their own loved ones. And that's, it's a really good, it's a really good place to hold in the world to know that I get to help people that way. I always say that I really enjoy supporting really incredible humans and as a health hussy, it's really too to like a lot of the dominatrix stuff now has bred into my coaching where I'm also verbalizing it as a way for people to really create boundaries with themselves and dominate their own life. So using lots of things that you would do from like radical communication in the kink and BDSM world into how we approach self-care and rewriting toxic narratives around health and wellness. You give so much of yourself in everything you do. What fills you, what fills you up? I get filled by life. Of course I get filled. It is a reciprocity that, that I get back from the things that I'm doing. So of course, all of my, all of the things that I get to do bring me so much joy. So that is a way that is an exchange. And then all the people that I share my life with is, I mean, there's, there's so much that fills my life. I have an amazing spouse. Um, I have wonderful pets. I've got currently a mentee, a darling daughter. She calls me her fairy whore mother. (laughs) She's in the other room right now. (laughs) Um, And so I get really fed by the the ways in which the world mirrors back to me what I give to it. And, And in doing so also because I have that love of life, you know, looking outside into my backyard and seeing the lush greenery and flowers, I I get fueled, you know, walking my dog. I've got 160 pound English Mastiff, who is a senior rescue. And every day that he gets up and wobbles around and has a happy face, I'm filled. So there are just, there are many things. Like I love lavish things. I have the grandest adventures. I travel. I, I, I oftentimes stop and look at my imaginary camera and I'm like, this is my life. What a wonderful life. And especially since it swings between all those different things. Um, and with all, within all those extremes, I'm also somebody who is very, very happy about the simplest thing like a perfect cup of coffee on my porch swing in the morning and reading a book or writing for a little while. It seems to me that the mirror view equals the camera view for you, meaning how you see yourself is how other people see you as well. And that is a rare commodity. I agree. I agree. And when you spoke of, do I always exude such confidence? And I was like, you know, my batting average is really good. And when I have moments where I might be in my feels for whatever reason, or have a moment of doubt, 
I have those humans that will reflect, my, you know, the, the truth back to me. And it's, it's really affirming. What's the best advice that Reb slash Amanda has ever given you that you take into life as well as domination? Oh, goodness. I've gotten so much to choose one nugget would be like picking a star because everything seems to be so valuable. Um, mm. I feel like that's a to be continued. Like I, I wouldn't do it service to try to, to run something off. I mean, everything from, gosh, the way that would impact my life though, not necessarily a quote or a thing that she's passed verbally, but watching the ways and learning the ways in which she flows and will progress in a session to take someone through, to put people in the head space and the body space, the mind space that they're looking to achieve. And at some points, even questioning for a second, being like, oh, is, are we going to, should we be at this place already? Or should we not be like doing something else? And then the shift happens in the flow. And I witness the flow and see just how perfectly the dance happens. And by the end, I'm, you know, praising for watching the flow that only someone who's been doing what they have been since the nineties could have. So I'm constantly inspired by the flow and also by the complete presence that always happens when I watch Reb in the dungeon while we're doing in session or with one another. And that's really one of those things where I believe like that present mindedness, we're always racing ahead to the next thing and we never seem to have enough time. But when you're present minded, when you're really in the moment, time seems to get sticky and juicier, more succulent. And it like the present moment gets slower. It just seems to exist and you're just in it and receiving all you can from it. And then you pop out at the end and you're like, oh, well, that was fucking delightful. <laughs> and then the other things that are waiting for you are there waiting for you. And then you will have that ability to move into the next planning phase to make sure when you step into that next phase to give yourself to the full moment that it can have that same effect. I have often said that the greatest gift that a dom can give to a sub and a sub can give to a dom is the power of being present. Agreed. And when you allow yourself to do that, it is the one time when you can live in the moment and live your genuine life. Because our world is made up of what we have to do mm -hmm. or what we've done. Mm -hmm. And so few times can we let go, get rid of the phone, get rid of the computer, get rid of the outside world, the outside noise, and play this beautiful symphony within ourselves. And when you have an opportunity to be in that connective world with someone, it is the most beautiful thing in the world. Absolutely. It's, a, it's like a mutual meditation that happens. And I thank you for taking me through the most beautiful meditation of my life. Oh, my sincere pleasure. Please tell our audience the best ways to follow you and get a hold of you should they be interested. 
The easiest way is yesqueenp.com and that will lead you everywhere else. If you happen to want to, to witness the showgirl, you can go to thesweetpea.com and you'll find links to my queen pea or the health essay. And then on social media, you'll find the same thing. Oh, yes, queen pea on Instagram and Twitter. I look forward to the next time we are able to meet in person. And I know that there will be a time because with my daughter living up in Minneapolis, I have many reasons to come up there. And I have developed so many friends up there that I want to move up there. <laughs> but if life makes that happen, that's wonderful. But I am so happy that we shared the moment together. I am so happy that I can call you friend. And I am so happy that you were able to be my guest today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I can't even begin to thank the amazing Reb Holmberg, also known as Amanda Wildfire, and Queen P for the amazing journey they took me on inside Castle Diabolica. It was, as they say, fun. And I am proud to call Queen P a friend. Can't wait to see her when I return to Minneapolis this fall. Next week, we go to Oregon to meet a dom who comes out of the land of magic and nature with a wonderful personality and a look that is unique and powerful. It's Oregon's Mistress Raven who lives by the call of the famous bird. And you'll enjoy hearing about her background, including one we share in roller derby. And thank you so much for being with us. My name is John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.